Good morning, Real Life Church. Hopefully you're all back in if you should be back in here. My name is Melanie. If you haven't heard me before, you're in for a treat this morning. I was saying, Stuart, I can't remember the last time I spoke because the last time I was supposed to speak was Christmas and I had no voice. Um, So I threw a bit of a tantrum at God and my husband and anyone else who was close to me because I really wanted to speak. So I said, Stuart, just be prepared that I've probably got this pent up, you know, I really wanted to speak. So now hold on to your chairs, really, I think. Uh, So I'm Melanie, I'm married to Stuart. We moved here to start this church eight years ago, I think. Um, And we've been here ever since and intend to be here for a long, 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 long time. This morning's message is called Water, Water Everywhere. So I'm going to talk a little bit about water and then I'm going to take you to a bit in the Bible and just talk you through that as well. Um, I love water. I I don't know what you're like, but I begin my morning routine every day with a mug a giant mug, we call them jugs in my house, so a giant mug with a quarter of a lemon in it that I squeeze out in hot water. I begin every single day like that. It's apparently amazing for your digestive system and wakes your body up gently and warmly. Um, Don't brush your teeth before you have it because otherwise it just tastes really like... Um, so I begin my day every day like that with warm water and lemon. I love to have bubble baths. I don't know what you're like. Like some people prefer showers. I am all about the bath. And um, this is just in case you ever wanted to buy me a present. This is my favorite bubble bath. Um, and, and I love it deep. And I love it so hot that you basically cannot get in it. So I like to call it the kind of hot and land, hop and land, that kind of moment where you're thinking, this is burning me, no it's not, this is, this is burning me, no, this is, and I like to kind of like slowly get down in it with almost third degree burns on my body, that's how I like my bus, loads of bubbles, no one else around, door closed, quiet, no one asking me to do anything, and I will be in there for a good hour, like, I come out like a prune, I love bath times, I love swimming in the sea, and um, we, we go to the beach whenever we can, we've managed, God has managed to call us to a place in the UK that is furthest from the beach, it could possibly be. So I love it when we go down to Torquay or Cornwall or I just literally live in the sea. I love it. We always collect shells. I've got my big old beastie jar. We always collect shells on the beach and I just love being in the sea. I don't really care if it's cold. So we have been known to be in the sea February half term. Like I don't even wear a wetsuit. Like I just love it in there. The boys love it in there. Stuart is not so keen on the sea. So you will find us at the beach in two separate places. Stuart will be with a book somewhere further up. And I will be in the sea. Since having two boys that love the sea, or I've made them love the sea, I now have playmates in the sea, so I don't have to find random families to get to know. I I actually have my own little tribe in the sea with me. I love paddling in streams, so wellies. I'm like, a pair of wellies for me is just like such a treat. Um, These are... 
My latest one's beautiful. Jules wellies, very pretty. But what it feels like when I put on a pair of wellies is that I revert to being a five-year-old. So you can splash in puddles, you can paddle in the streams, you can bring out your inner child. So I thoroughly recommend purchasing wellies. You don't have to purchase Jules wellies. There are other wellies out there. But I thoroughly recommend purchasing wellies because it brings out of you, the five-year-old, so much fun. And then this time of year, there's nothing better than a hot water bottle so fill it up with water hug it when I go to bed put it on my back oh I just love a good hot water bottle I have been known once or twice when we've been out on the high street doing things on the high street having one tucked in me and wrapped inside my coat so just a little tip if ever we're doing winter stuff on the high street and and you're in need of a bit of warmth I strongly recommend a water bottle trapped in your clothing it's amazing I think my friend Fliss got me onto that one really so it's a great little warmer upper 60% of the human body is made up of water. And at birth, 80% of an infant's birth weight is water. Water covers around 70% of the Earth's surface. And nearly a billion people worldwide have limited access to clean water. On average, women in developing countries walk 3.7 miles daily to collect water. Less than 1% of the water supply on the earth can be used as drinking water. A person can live about a month without food. I find that hard to believe. I can't even go three hours. So a month apparently you can go without food, but only a week without water. Bottled water can be up to 2,000 times more expensive than tap water. I'm not saying anything about that, I'm just saying that is what it is. More than half of the water used in a home is used in the bathroom. And in our house, I well believe that. So there is water, water everywhere. And what I want to talk to you about this morning is the promise that Jesus gives of living water. So if you've got a Bible with me, with you, you can turn to John 7, 37 to 39. If it's on your phone, please feel free to get your phone out. Don't check Facebook or go on your WhatsApp or just get it out for your Bible, all right? John 7, 37 to 39. I'm reading it from the New Living Translation just because it's my favorite one, but you can follow along in any of your translations that you've got. So it says this, on the last day, the climax of the festival, Jesus stood and he shouted to the crowds, anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scriptures declare rivers of living water will flow from his heart. When he said, this Jesus, when he said living waters, he was speaking about the spirit who would be given to everyone believing in him. But the spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet entered into his glory. I'm going to pull out a few things from this passage and this is how I read my Bible. I basically pull out a few things that jump out to me, research it a little bit, work out what God is saying to me. So I'm going to do that with you 
all here this morning. I'm going to pull out a few things and I'm going to encourage you to consider what God might be saying to you this morning. There will be practical application in the meeting, so you can't talk about the Holy Spirit and talk about streams of living water flowing without actually engaging with the Holy Spirit. Because reading your Bible is not supposed to be a theory thing. It's not supposed to be, oh, I've gained knowledge. It's about a relationship. It's about knowing the person that speaks in the Bible. So we're going to relate with him this morning. We're going to spend time with him this morning. Please don't be afraid or worried. I don't believe for one moment the Holy Spirit is a gentleman and all kind, and, but he is God. And so when he comes to meet with us, he knows us. He knows everything about you. He knows what you're thinking now. He knows what's gone on this week. He knows what's going to happen next week. He's God. So I want to start with the festival. Jesus is at a festival. And words like that in the Bible, you can just skim over and go, oh yeah, he's at a feast, he's at a festival, and just move past it. So I looked it up because it jumped out. And this festival is actually called the Festival of Tabernacles, or the Feast of the Ingathering. And this festival for the Jewish people was about the dwelling place of God with man which makes perfect sense when you hear Jesus go on to talk about the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So he's at a festival that is celebrating the tabernacle, is celebrating that the presence of God is now with man, that God has made a tent, God has made a shelter, and God has made his dwelling place with man. For the Jewish people, it it was wrapped up in when they came out of Egypt And God then set up this tabernacle, this this traveling presence of God that would go with them. It was his promise to them as a people that he would, by his very presence, go with them. Sometimes when you read the Bible, you can miss really significant things in one word. One word that actually says this feast was all about God's promise to always be with his people. It was a feast that involved food and drink as offerings, as well as grain and animal sacrifice. So it was a fun feast. That it was the longest feast. It was. It was. There was great enjoyment and party. It was noisy. It was the feast of celebration, and they were celebrating that God was dwelling with man. And when Jesus stands up, often the context which he stands up in matters. The people that he stands up in front of matters. So when you read your Bible, you want to be asking questions like that. Why did he pick that feast? Why is he talking about that now? Why is he doing that there? Why are those people present? Just be asking those kinds of questions when you read your Bible. He stood and he shouted, which when you look at that, you know that this was a noisy place. But this was also a hostile place. So this was contained within the crowds. There were the Jewish leaders who were all plotting to kill him. So this is, this is the Jewish leaders standing around going, how can we catch him out? What can we catch him doing so that we can legally or legitimately get rid of him? Some of them wanted him arrested and tried, so that is going on in the crowd. Others felt like he was good and a good teacher. There were some there who were afraid. 
So they would have wanted to say, he's my leader or he's who I'm following, but they were so afraid of the religious leaders around and what might have happened to them if they'd have stood out. There'd be people there who'd been healed by Jesus, who had a relationship with Jesus, who knew Jesus. In amongst the crowd, there would be hostility and there would be goodness and hope and wholeness. And I want to remind us that whenever Jesus is spoken about, That is the kind of crowd we should be expecting. So whenever you talk about Jesus, there will be people around who love what you're saying and want to hear it. There will be others who are afraid of it and think, well, what will so-and-so think? Or what will my family think? Or how does that work with my marriage? What's going on there? There will be some who just want the name of Jesus to not be spoken. They want it shut down, shut up, gone away, dead, buried. That will always be the case and should always be the case until Jesus returns. Sometimes you yourselves will talk about Jesus and it will be met with hostility or wholeness. It will be met sometimes with people going, that's what I want, that's what I need. But it will also be met with, I don't want that, I don't need that, I want that out of my face, out of my life. We are to expect that. We are to draw on God for that. We are to find that to be normal. Whenever Jesus stood and spoke, those were the crowds that he spoke to. A real mixed bag. Even in church, we're to expect that there will be people among us who love the message of healing and wholeness found in Jesus and others who sit there so uncomfortably thinking, will they just stop talking about Jesus? And there will be reactions sometimes within us of hostility or wholeness. There will be fear. There will be, we're to just expect that as a people. It doesn't seem that Jesus was at all bothered by the fact that the crowd he was standing up and speaking to was a mixed bag. And I feel like one of the things when I was prepping, I felt like God wanted us to hear is that you should not be bothered of the crowd that you stand up in front of is a mixed bag. But you should also not give up speaking about the person of Jesus just because the crowd is a mixed bag. And increasingly in our culture that is very PC and has to be correct and has to be neat and has to be tidy, we are going to have to take courage from the fact that Jesus always stood in mixed crowds. Jesus was always misunderstood But because there were people in the crowds who needed to hear the message of healing and wholeness, he stood and he brought the truth. We're to be those kinds of people. The word anyone, Jesus then says, anyone who is thirsty, anyone. And I love that word anyone because he is speaking to a crowd where contained within it are religious leaders and scholars who are, who are really have skilled their craft. They've really researched it. They're really into it. They really know all the ins and outs and all. But he faces that crowd and he says, anyone, anyone can come to me if they're thirsty. Anyone can come to me. That means it doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter where you've come from. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what you might do. It doesn't matter what your ethnic group is, what your social group is, what your class is, how much you earn or don't earn. It doesn't matter because in God, anyone can come. It doesn't matter what your religious background is. It matters that you come to Jesus 
And so Jesus does not differentiate between male and female when it means coming to him. He doesn't look at color. He doesn't look at race. He doesn't look at your earning potential. He doesn't look at any of that. He looks deep inside of you and looks at your heart and says, I'll have that. I'll have you. And so what we should expect is a church that is a mixed bunch of people because anyone can come. What we should expect is that anyone does come. What we should expect on Sunday mornings are not the pious and the religious people feeling like, well, I've earned my way here, I can come. We should expect a bunch of people who in and of themselves cannot come. And the only reason they come is because Jesus says, come. So if you're here this morning and you think, I have had the worst week, or I have not managed to be at church, or I have not managed to do X, Y, and Z, welcome. Because Jesus will take anyone. And he will take anyone who dares to put one foot in front of the other and come to him. And he will deal with anything. Because he's God Almighty. And he is not dependent on you all your good works. He depends and relies upon himself and his good works. So anyone can come in this room to him, but anyone out there can come. So we are not to limit the work of the Spirit, the work of God in people's lives. We're not to say that person looks too far off or too hopeless or too whatever. We're to say anyone can come. If he says anyone can come, anyone can come. And then the invitation is for those who are thirsty, suggesting that there is a physical thirst and a spiritual thirst. So I don't think for one moment Jesus is saying, if anyone's thirsty, I've got myself a stash of Evian bottles at the side here, come and take a drink. Or I'm turning on the tap, here's a glass of water. I don't think that's what Jesus was saying. He was saying, if you're thirsty inside, if you thirst for something, come to me. And we all get thirsty, all of us. We get thirsty for things. And we get thirsty for meaning. We get thirsty for purpose. We get thirsty for knowledge. We get thirsty for power. We get thirsty for wealth. But all these things are because we're thirsty for God. And they're, they're misplaced. The human soul, the human spirit, thirsts for things. And what you see around you is people going after money, wealth, possessions, knowledge, power, in a misunderstanding of what they're actually thirsty for. You see, when you're made to know God, you will thirst for him, even though you don't know it's God you're thirsting for. So I thirsted for stuff before I became a Christian. When I became a Christian, I was like, it felt to me like I'd come home. I I literally felt like, oh my gosh, this is it. And I felt this sense of relief that I'd found what I was hungering and thirsting for. We were made to know him. And do you know, people will drink sand in the desert because they don't know the difference They'll drink from money, wealth, and power because they don't know the difference. They don't know that what they actually thirst for is a living God because they're dead spiritually. So they'll thirst for things that you would look at and go, you're basically drinking sand in the desert. 
That won't quench your thirst. That won't, all that will do is gum up your mouth and you will want more because it will not satisfy. So what we need to do is show people that God meets that thirst. Therefore, we need to be people who are satisfied in God. Not hunting for it elsewhere, but finding all of it in him. And I think in middle class churches, that is a challenge. Because actually we can hunger and thirst for wealth and possession because actually we're caught up in a culture that thirsts for that. And we can sometimes go to God last or as a last resort because I've tried everything else and it's not quite working and I'll go there. We don't want to be the people drinking the sand. We want to be the people drinking the living water. We want to communicate as loudly as we can. I find my worth here. I find my purpose here, my meaning here, my wealth here. The inheritance that I have in Christ is so vast, whether I earn much or little, whatever. As long as I'm doing the things that God has asked of me, whether I drive this car or that car or live in this house or that house, whatever, I am the richest person alive because I know Christ. I have wealth that people know nothing about because I'm storing up an inheritance in God that nothing will eat away at, that no one will tax and no one will take because it belongs to God and in his overflow of goodness and kindness, it belongs to me. We need to be a people that know the difference. We need to be a people that when we're thirsty for meaning and purpose, run to him, who is the only one who'll quench it, who is the only one who will satisfy, who is the only one who at the end of the day matters. You see, when we say every Sunday in this church we're all about Jesus, we don't mean we don't care about the Father or the Holy Spirit. What we're saying is we're all about the person of Jesus making a difference, the God-man, to our lives and changing us by the Holy Spirit. Jesus is called by the Father to come and save, to come and do. We're all about him because actually this story says it is all about him. It's all about him. It's all about Jesus. It's about drawing on him, coming to him, worshipping him, loving him, reading about him, being satisfied in him. It's all about him. And our days should reflect that. So if you have a day where you don't have time to meet with Jesus, your day does not have correct order to it. Your life does not have correct order to it because if life on the earth is all about him, so if we're to come to him, if we're thirsty... Every day we thirst for knowledge, for power, for meaning, for purpose. Every day. Therefore, we go to him for all of that. If our days are not spent honoring him, lifting him up, we're honoring something else or someone else. We end up making idols out of our kids or out of our work or out of anything that is about me if we don't get our eyes on him. So when we're encouraging you this 
year to read your Bibles and pray. It's not because we want to make you feel guilty every day because you haven't quite done it. Aren't you a terrible Christian? It's because we know if you get your eyes on Jesus every day, your world looks different. Your life looks different. Your workplace looks different. We're doing it because we know it's good for you. It's a bit like, you know, medicine when you're like, take this because I know it's going to make you better. There will be days when you think, this is about the last thing I want to do. Do it anyway. Do it anyway and get your eyes on the one who gives meaning, purpose and will quench that thirst. It then goes on to say, rivers of living water will flow from your heart. And when the Bible uses the word heart, it's a similar word to gut or belly. It's like the real inner being. It's like the real, so it's not necessarily like your heart that beats. It's the kind of center of you, the innermost bit. And he's saying that if you come to me and drink, what happens is streams of living water will flow out of you, rivers of living water. So you will be changed by it. There will be something about you that has life, energy, vitality. It's why when you meet miserable Christians, you're just like, what is going on? We really are the most blessed people on planet Earth. And that doesn't mean that we walk around with a silly grin on our faces as if everything is just so happy and so amazing, even though it's really tough. What it means is we live with this inner river that is just bubbling away, full of life, no matter what our circumstances. Because within it, we know him. Within it, we're drawing from him. So we face suffering so differently. Because we've got him bubbling away within us. You see, rivers carry life. They carry vitality. They cut through things. They go, if you go in rivers, a load of the rocks are made smooth on their surface because a river has just gone over and over and over it. And it's made things that were spiky and tough, smooth and easy to stand on. It breaks things down. Rivers cut things out. They're incredible things. And Jesus is saying that is the potential when you draw on me. That rivers will flow from within you that cut through things, that smooth things out, that bring life and direction. Water is so important to God. If you read your Bible, you'll see that. So he knows we can't survive without it, and he knows it's essential to life. It's not an additional extra. So he uses the imagery of water lots because it communicates something that is so important. He leads us beside it. So if you go through the Psalms, you'll see that God leads us beside waters. So he leads us beside places that are tranquil or bring life, or he tells us to drink from it. So this passage is is not like a one-off passage. We're told to drink from him. He parts it so that people can cross it. So even like the laws of physics to do with water, like, like God just, he just does the most amazing things with water. He speaks to it and calms it down. He walks on it. So water becomes solid between, under his feet He owns it. He has dominion over it. We're encouraged in one of the Psalms to cry rivers. 
So Christians aren't the people that have a stiff upper lip and hold everything together and make sure we're very British about our emotions. Christians are supposed to cry rivers of tears over the things that cause us pain, over lives that cause pain. We're supposed to weep. And I've been really struck lately with the amount of people that whenever someone's crying says, Because actually what we want to do is we want to stop the tears, which is very counter what the gospel says. We're to cry with those that cry. We're to weep with those that weep. We're to mourn with people. We're to stand next to people. We're to find things that are painful, painful. We're to see things on the news and be moved by them and and, and have a physical response to them. And some of us are just either not in the habit or we've been shushed so many times that we've forgotten that it's okay in God to feel things and to cry rivers of tears. He promises in his word that we will go through rivers of difficulty, but we will not drown. And I I love that. We will go through rivers of difficulty, but we will not drown. And some of you need to hear that because you're in your river of difficulty saying to God, why isn't my life happier? Why haven't you made it so that I am living a happy life? But the only promise God gives is that you won't drown. And if you're sitting here today, you haven't drowned. You're fine. Keep going. And that's it with God sometimes. He doesn't promise us this happy, easy life. He promises us we won't drown. And I love that. I love that about God. He's saying, hang on in there. I will not let you drown, but you will go through rivers of difficulty. But you will not drown. And some of us just need to draw on that, drink it, and go, I'm in a difficult place now. But what God promises me is that I won't drown, is that I will survive this, I will make it. I might come out a bit bedraggled, but I will not drown. He makes rivers flow in dry and barren lands, and you might even feel like you're in a dry and barren land. What God does is he makes rivers flow in places where it looks lost and hope is lost, and he makes rivers flow. You see, God loves water and he loves to pour it out and he loves to soak us and he loves to cause us to be living and active. He loves to shape things and carve things out. He is an amazing God. In the passage, Jesus says, but the spirit, well, the commentator said, but the spirit has not yet been given So he was promising something that was yet to come. And we live in the promise. So we live the other side of that. We live the days after Pentecost. We live the days after the Spirit was poured out on young men, old men, young women, old women, on all the nations that were gathered there. The Spirit was poured out and is being poured out. We live at that end of the promise, not the butt end of the promise. We live at the end of the promise where Jesus says, I've not yet been glorified, so my spirit has not yet been poured out. And yet as I was preparing this, I thought, I know loads of Christians that live at the wrong end of that promise. 
I know loads of Christians that live at the butt end of that promise instead of at the head of that, in front of that, out there somewhere in it. I know loads of Christians that live as if the Spirit has not been poured out yet, that don't live with daily encounters with the Spirit of God, that are not flowing in what God has for them because they're living as if Jesus has not yet been glorified and the Spirit has not yet been poured out. We're living in those days where the Spirit has been poured out and streams of living water can flow from within us. So anyone can come and drink. Anyone who is thirsty. So if you hunger for thirst for meaning, purpose, power, knowledge, wealth. If you thirst for any of those things, remind yourself you are supposed to find all of that in Christ. You are not supposed to find that in the created world around you. You are supposed to find it in the creator. You're supposed to find it in the one who made heaven and earth, not in all the things that have been made out of that. You are supposed to find it in a person, in him. Anyone can come. It makes no difference what your week, your year, your life has looked like. It makes no difference if you come here this morning thinking, I'm a good Christian or I'm a bad Christian. Neither of those things exist. You are either a Christian or you are not. And there are no good ones and no bad ones. I love it when Stu preached, he always says, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. There are no good ones and no bad ones. There are born-again Christians. Full stop, the end. If it was based on your own behavior and your own goodness, you would be separate from God forever with me. We would have the largest gathering of people ever if it was based on your good works. It is all about him. And sometimes in relating to the Spirit, we need to get our heads straight first We need to remember this was all about his death, all about his sacrifice, all about his life given in place of mine, all about that transaction that goes on when you become a Christian, that you say, I've I've got nothing. All I've got to bring to this is my sin and my shame. I willingly take your blood and your life in place of mine. It is all about Jesus. Therefore, when we go to encounter the Spirit of God, and we know that streams of living water can flow, because we've got no blockages. We're not under any illusion that this is about me, or this is about whether I've had a good week or a bad week, or I've read my Bible or I've not read my Bible, or I've yelled at something on someone on the way into church. Which, you know, if you've had a morning, you know, any kind of morning, you've probably yelled at someone. I've definitely yelled at at least two people this morning. And that's, you know, an average morning for me. So if if you're in that camp, get your head straight. This is not about you. This is all about Jesus. It's all about what he's done. And that's how the Spirit flows. The Spirit loves it when people know that they are saved by an almighty God. Frees everything up so that he can flow, so that he can come. This changes you, this shapes you, this directs you, this leads you. So I understand that sometimes when we say, come and meet with the Holy Spirit, there's a slight sense of fear or reticent because really what you're saying is, I'll go with you. 
I'll do it your way. I'll have what you've got, not what I've got. And so it's all about surrender. It's all about submission. It's all about acknowledging who he is and what he brings and putting all my stuff down and saying, all right, let's do this. And I want to encourage you to live at the right end of the promises of God. Live knowing that he is glorified, that he has gone to be with the Father, that he has sent his Holy Spirit, and we're supposed to live in the good of that. Ask him for that daily. Anytime we say, does anyone want to be filled with the Spirit? It should be, yes, please. It's a little bit like if you're in a house with kids and you're saying, um, it's snack time, does anyone want cake? Now, there isn't a kid who goes, oh, no, 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 not me. Thank you. I'm watching my weight. (laughs) Uh, I'm on Slimming World. Sorry, that'll blow my points completely. There isn't a kid alive that does that. Like, my boys can't hear anything I ask them to do. If I say cake or sweets, they're like, they come from the four corners of the house. Like, boom, they're there. This is the invitation. If you're thirsty today, come, drink. And what it should do is draw us from the four corners of the room, zoomp, into the very presence of God. Because we are a thirsty people and we thirst for God, but sometimes try and satisfy it with sand. Don't do that. Come and drink deep from what God has got for you. Come and be filled with the Holy Spirit again and again and again. Live at the right end of the promises of God. Amen? Worship team, why don't you come up? We're going to worship and we're going to encounter the living God. We're going to see if streams of living water want to flow this morning.